See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that your, the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Lord God, as we hear these words, some of which are hard, hard to understand, hard to accept, I pray from the scriptures that we just read that we would cling to you, hold fast to you, Lord, for you are our life and you are our length of days. And I pray, Lord, that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Two weeks ago when I preached, uh, I got to talk about Jesus casting fire on the earth, and now I get to talk about how Jesus wants you to hate your parents. So, uh, and some of you are like, sign me up, I'm already there. But you can add Jesus' words to what some people call the hard sayings of Jesus. Uh, what is Jesus saying? What is he up to? And in this season of the church year that we're in called Ordinary Time, it's often when we get these hard sayings of Jesus, and there's a reason uh, for that. Because much of the rest of the church year, from Advent all the way through Christmas and Epiphany and Lent and Easter and Pentecost, those show us, those seasons show us who Jesus is so that we might trust him. Who is he, what has he done so that we can trust him so that when he says these hard things in, along the way as we're following him, we have a context that he's saying them out of the depth of his character. He's saying them as the one who came into the world, took on our flesh, died on the cross on our behalf, and was raised to new life in the resurrection. We have to hear these hard words in that context. Because if we don't, we're, 
we're liable to misunderstand or they're just gonna confuse us. So that's my encouragement to us today as we dive in uh, to these scriptures. And this is another week where our readings, the lectionary gives us a, a set of readings that fit together in an interesting way. We have this passage from Deuteronomy where Moses is exhorting the people of God to choose life, that there's a path of blessing and there's a path of curse, there's a path of life, there's a path of death, and he wants them to choose life. We have our psalm that contrasts the blessed one with the wicked one, and the encouragement is that we would meditate on the law of the Lord, Lord so that we would be planted and rooted in God. And then Jesus turns to a crowd and says, hey, there's a way that you can just be a spectator and sort of be on the edge of things, and then there's a way that you can actually follow me. All of our passages are driving at a single point, basically to choose life, to choose the path of life. And the stakes are real stakes. There's something substantial at stake, which is life itself. Not just biological life, but existential life, spiritual life, life with depth, life with meaning, or what the psalm calls the blessed life. Deuteronomy calls the blessed life, what Jesus would call what it means to be blessed in him, to follow him. So I wanna start with Moses and talk a little bit about this passage from Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is fascinating because it's Moses' last uh, will and testament to the people of God before they pass into the land, and he's not gonna go with them. So he's basically rehearsing what has happened over the course of his life and ministry, what God has done in delivering them from Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness, and bringing them to the very cusp of the promised land. And this passage comes towards the end of the book they're about to enter the land of blessing and Moses is exhorting them to remember what God has done and what, remember what God is like and to remember what God has asked of them. So he tells them to cling to the word of God. Love the, Lord, the word of God, he says, walk in his ways and keep his commandments, his statutes and his rules and that is how you will choose life. And the part that really draws my attention is when he says, these words are not too hard for you. <laughs> they are not far off. I've set before you life and good, death and evil. These words are not in heaven that you should say who will ascend the heaven for us and bring them to us, Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us? No, he says, the, the word of God is near in your mouth and in your heart. That's as close as it can get. It's inside of you. You may have noticed sometimes that when we process the gospel in the middle to read the gospel, that some people will do this. They'll cross their mind, their mouth, and their heart. That's a way of bodily enacting this idea, which is we want God's word to be in our mind, on our lips, and in our heart. And that's what Moses is saying to them as well. That if the word of God is here and here and here, then you're choosing life. 
you're clinging to him. But if they're not, then it's going to go badly for you. The message of Deuteronomy really can come down to probably its most famous verse, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. That opening phrase, hear, O Israel, the word of the Lord is meant to be heard. To hear the word of the Lord is to obey the word of the Lord. And in verse 17, he says this, if your heart turns away and you will not hear, he makes a connection between their hearing and their heart. If you're not willing to hear, it's not gonna get in your heart. And the moment you're turning away means that you've also stuffed up your ears. You're not gonna listen anymore. Now that may um, not be sort of our initial way of thinking about things. We're more of a visual culture. We, we think more about what we look at than what we hear. But the world of the Old Testament is much more of a hearing culture. And it matters immensely what you hear. Interestingly though, sociologists and philosophers are talking about us sort of moving into a new age of the ear, a new oral age. Not because I think <laughs> there's so much stuff to look at, it gets overwhelming. I mean, just think of how much TV there is. TVs work now, <laughs> if you wanna keep up with everything. Um, and as a great lover of podcasts, I'm all about hearing as well. But what we hear matters, what we listen to matters. Our mission statement is summed up as behold and become, which is based on this idea that what you look at shapes who you become. Um, we call it spiritual physics. What you pay attention to shapes who you are. Well, the same goes with what you listen to. What are you listening to? What words are going into your ear? ears? What are you ruminating on, meditating on? Which is the exhortation of the psalm. Blessed is the one who meditates on the word of the Lord, ruminates on it, chews on it like a dog who's relentless with a bone, trying to get every ounce of marrow out of that bone. That is how we're supposed to respond to the word of the Lord, to hear it and to do it. So what we look at matters and what we listen to matters as well. Which is one reason I, and we're, we'll talk about this when we do the instructed Eucharist in a couple weeks. Often my encouragement for people is even though we're blasting the words at your eyes up here and in the bulletin, sometimes the best thing to do when the scripture's being read is just to listen. Because it puts you in a posture of receptivity, which is different in the mode of when you're just studying the scriptures. We need both. We need the, re the receptive, what is God saying to me right now, and we need to be able to study the word. But if we're just in this posture where we're putting ourselves over the word all the time and studying it and parsing it, and we're never in the posture of, Lord, speak, your servant is listening, then we're not putting ourselves in the position to hear his word and then to obey it. And that's what Moses is saying. I've spoken this word to you, you know it, it's in your mouths, it's in your hearts, now walk in the way that's in front of you. So that's Moses. And now we have Jesus. Luke 14. Jesus is walking along and he turns and suddenly notices that there's a huge crowd following him. And 
he doesn't show up with the t-shirt cannons and start saying, hey guys, glad you're here. Tell your friends all about me. Smash that subscribe button, all of that. Jesus says, hey guys, listen up. You need to hate your parents and your family. You need to take up your cross. Why does Jesus say this? Because at this point in his ministry, he's gained a reputation and he's started to accumulate a lot more than just disciples along the way. There's just people who are curious. There's this guy walking around, there's all these stories. He's known to be a good teacher with authority. You'll get a fireworks show sometimes where a demon will get cast out. Let's go see what this Jesus guy is up to. So it's important to remember that when Jesus speaks these words, he's speaking them to an undifferentiated crowd of people, and he's trying to call out a set of those people who are willing to take up their cross and follow him. But what is his hate stuff about? Hmm. Well, when it comes to the hard sayings of Jesus, the great temptation, and in my temptation, is just to try to explain them away. Oh, Jesus doesn't really mean it. And there is a certain sense in which he is exaggerating. Um, that's a mode of rabbis in their teaching, is that they'll say something in a hyperbolic way to draw a stark contrast. I think it's helpful to think, though, that he's not talking about hate where you have malicious intents towards someone. So if we think that love, of love as to will the good of the other, and then hate would be to will the bad of the other. <laughs> Jesus isn't saying, unless you go and will the bad of your family, you can't follow me. He's not making an evaluation about their motives. He's making an evaluation in terms of comparative value. What do you love more? And that that depth of love is so great that it looks like hate in contrast. That's still radical though. It's still hard. And church history and the Bible give us examples of people who have taken Jesus very seriously at this point. Um, One person that you can think of and maybe you're familiar with his story, is St. Francis of Assisi, who was wealthy, very wealthy, and rejects his inheritance, even at a certain point in his life, giving back his very clothes on his back to his father in public and turning away from him and walking away. And starting the Franciscan movement, this order of monks who are mendicant monks who basically have nothing and say they're going to receive everything from others. He embraces radical, radical poverty and gives us a visual of what does it mean to say, hey, earthly father, I'm glad for everything that you've given me that brought me to this moment, but I have to go do something else now. Jesus has called me and I have to go do something else right now. And in St. Francis's time, and maybe even in our time, that might look like a kind of hate compared to the love that he has for Jesus. St. Francis doesn't have a malicious motive towards his father. He doesn't will bad things for his father, but he has something greater that he's going after. And that's what Jesus is saying here in Luke 14. If you want to follow me, this is what it costs. 
Take up your cross and follow me. The secret of discipleship is the scandal of the cross. What does that mean? It means that Moses says, choose life. And Jesus says, choose life by first choosing death. Die first. Die over and over and over again. Every day, take up that cross and follow me. Moses sets before the people the word of God. He speaks the law of God on behalf of God, but Jesus does something very different. And this is what I really want to pay attention to. Because it's not just what Jesus says, it's who he says it and how he says it. Who it is that's saying it and how he says it. Who is it that can say such things to us? Who has the right to tell us that we should die to ourselves? Who has the right to tell us that our love for him should be so great that our love for everything else actually looks like hate? Jesus is doing something very different than Moses. Moses says, I give you the word of the Lord. Here, here it is. Jesus says, follow me. Moses says, follow the word. Jesus says, follow me. He's putting himself in a very different position than Moses. He's saying, in a sense, that he is the path of life. Moses lays out a path of life, like you would expect a great spiritual teacher to do. Here are the principles. Here's what you need to do to attain enlightenment, inner peace, great happiness. Here they are, I've given them to you, I'm just a teacher. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's saying, follow me, because I am the path of life. I am the path of blessing. I am the word that has drawn near to you, that wants to be in your mind, in your mouth, and in your heart. That's the decisive difference. You could even say that Jesus here is demonstrating his divinity. Not just that he's a great spiritual teacher, though he is that, but that he is something more. That he is God, that he is the word who took on flesh and dwelled among us. That's the decisive difference. And what's amazing about Jesus is that he walks the path first. Take up your cross and follow me. Not take up your cross and I will observe from a distance as you take those crosses down the road. No, I'm front of the line. I'm the one with the cross first. I'm walking the path and you're walking it after me. That's the difference. Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. He has skin in the game. Follow me. I will walk the road that I'm asking you to walk. I will bear the same cross that I'm asking you to bear. And as you follow me, I will show you what it is to live life in this way, which is choosing life by choosing to die to ourselves. That's the secret of discipleship that's wrapped up in the scandal of the cross. 
we have to continually die to ourselves. And that that's where life and blessing flows out of, that generosity of God as he pours into us, as we pour out ourselves on behalf of others. So Jesus tells us that we are called to follow him, to draw near to him, who is the word that is drawn near to us. Deuteronomy 30, verse 20, or 19 into 20. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and your length of days that you may dwell in the land. Moses points forward to the reality that ultimately we will cling to God himself. Yes, his words, yes, his commands, but those things incarnate who dwell among us, we cling to Christ who then clings to us. So these are the hard words that Jesus has, but he sets them before us in his mercy because he doesn't want us to follow him without having our eyes wide open, which is why he starts talking about towers and battles and planning and considering the cost. And he's saying to this crowd, this is not a casual thing. And that's true. But what he isn't saying is, and now you have to do it perfectly and never make a mistake for the rest of your life. I said this a couple weeks ago in the context of Hebrews, that the life of faith is to be walked faithfully, not perfectly. And that's why we need each other. We're all in a line behind Jesus with our crosses. And sometimes... I fall with my cross and I need somebody else to help me. And so do you. That's just my guess. It may not be true. Maybe you don't need any help. Maybe it's just me. So that's Jesus, that's Moses. I wanna end by talking about David, the Psalm, Psalm one. Oh boy, it's a good one. I've always loved this psalm. My mom bought my dad this beautiful print that hung in his office in every house that we ever had. It was Psalm 1. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingers in the ways of sinners, nor sits in the seats of the scornful, but delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. That's someone who's walking this path of life that Jesus and Moses have talked about. That's what it looks like day to day. Will you hear the word? Will you receive the word? Will you let it marinate in your life and in your heart? Will you receive it as the blessing that it is? And if you will, this is what it talk, this is what the Psalm says happens. You will be like a tree planted by streams of water bearing fruit in due season with leaves that do not wither. Everything they do shall prosper. One of our values, and you can see this in the bulletin, so that you know that I'm not making it up for the sake of the sermon, is rootedness. There it is on page 11. You know what has roots? Trees that bear fruit in their season. Here's our value of rootedness. Planted and established by God in Christ, we are called to East Dallas 
to its people in its neighborhood, rooted in the soil of East Dallas and nourished by the three life-giving streams of scripture, spirit, and sacrament, we expect the slow work of growth together. We'll talk more about this in Intro to St. Bart's and Instructed Eucharist, our values, where they came from, why they matter to us. But one thing I just want to mention, and I mention this every time I talk about the values, every one of our values begins with something about God and then includes some sort of response from us. So God is the one who's planted us. God is the one who's established us. And he's the one who is nourishing us. We'll talk about the three streams of scripture, spirit, and sacrament that nourishes that tree. But the last phrase is where I want to end up. We expect the slow work of growth together. What is our response to being rooted and established in God? It's an expectation that he's going to nourish us that he's the one that's gonna bring the increase, that he's the one that's gonna bless us. And what I love about Psalm 1 is that, well, many things, but that it bears its fruit in due season. There's a cycle to things. There's a way that things work, and it takes time. You don't plant a peach tree and then have peaches tomorrow, especially if you have squirrels, like in our backyard. We haven't had one peach because of those squirrels. But it was still bearing its fruit in its season. It's a cycle. It's slow. And so it is with following the path of Jesus. It's not instant. It's not I flipped a switch. It's take up your cross every day and follow me. It's that posture of Jesus, where are we going today? What are you up to today? What does it look like for me to take up my cross today? What does it look like for me to hear your word today? To delight in it, to meditate on it, so that I can be planted and established in you. The contrast in Psalm 1 is between this tree and this chaff. The chaff that just gets blown away. The difference is the chaff has no roots. It doesn't have anything that's established in. So any breath that comes along can make chaff. You go in your garage, you turn on the blower, there's stuff flying everywhere. But if it's rooted, you can take your Toro blower and you can hold it next to your sycamore tree all day and it is not gonna get knocked over. It doesn't matter because those roots are deep, it's established. Even a sapling that has roots is just going to bend with the wind. Even if you've got the biggest, baddest gas blower and you've got 50 gallons in it and you blew it all day, that sapling is not going anywhere. But the tiniest leaf that's not on the tree, it's just gonna float away. That's the visual contrast that all these passages are about. Moses says, choose life, choose the way of the tree, choose the path of discipleship, which is the path of rootedness. The contrast is the path of death, which is just to be blown about. And we've all been there. 
Every little wind of thing comes along and we just, uh, we're just blown about. We don't feel established or rooted. And this is the promise that we are blessed if we will delight in the law of the Lord and if we will meditate on his law day and night. If we will cling to him because it is in our minds, it is in our mouths, and it is in our heart. If we will receive his word in an open-hearted, open-handed way. It doesn't mean that we don't have questions. It doesn't mean um, that we don't read stories sometimes in the Bible. and like, oh, I wonder what that one's about. <laughs> What's going on in the Old Testament? Somebody texted me this week about this crazy story where one prophet lies to another prophet and ends up getting eaten by a lion. Like, what's that story about? I don't know. But that doesn't mean we don't hear and receive and wrestle with. And again, that's where I want to end, with the meditation that Psalm 1 commends to us. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. That meditation is not like this. It's a wrestling with. Rumination. You're turning something over and over and over again in your mind. You're looking at it from multiple different angles. You're asking questions of it. You're probing it. You're talking about it with other people. Yes, we have to have those times where we just, you know, get the nice devotional word and we feel encouraged, but sometimes we have to ruminate and wrestle and turn things over and ask God, what, okay, what does this story mean? And how does it add up with this? And how does it add up with my experience now? And all those sort of things. And the promise of Psalm 1 is that that kind of rumination is a blessing. That God isn't scared of it. He's inviting you into it. And he's saying that if you turn it, those, his word over in your mind and look at it and ruminate on it and chew and gnaw on that bone, there's blessing in it. So that's, the, that's an invitation. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Alpha. I'm contractually obligated to talk about Alpha. Alpha is a place to ruminate with other people, to hear the word of the Lord, somebody teaching, and then you sit down with people and you bounce it around and you ruminate together. And guess what? There's blessing in that. Because somebody's question, even if they believe something totally different from you, can help you think about something that you haven't thought about for in years. And it can actually strengthen your faith. Because, oh, I haven't thought about that. That's interesting. And then the ping pong just keeps bouncing from person to person in the conversation and you're ruminating together. And it's super fun. So, rootedness. I wanna be rooted. I think that's what we all want. I think we're all tired of getting blown around. And the promise in these scriptures is that the place to start is with God's word. To hear it, to obey it, to internalize it, to meditate on it, and to delight in it. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you uh, for these scriptures. And I pray, Lord, that when we hear your hard words, that we would hear them in light of your character in light of what you've done for us. But I also ask that we would hear them and not dismiss them or explain them away, but hear the challenge in them, Lord, that your invitation to us individually and as a community called St. Bart's is to take up our cross and to follow you. We ask for the strength 
the grace, the mercy to do that. And we ask, Lord, for the honesty to ask for help when we are struggling to do that. We pray that we could be a community where we bear each other's burdens as we follow after Jesus. And we ask this in the blessed name of your beloved son. Amen.